0: Thank you for listening to Therapy for Guys. My name is Kike Autry, and I'm a licensed professional counselor in Katy, Texas. In this podcast, I want to explore the issues that men stay silent about. Our struggles with anxiety and depression, our relationship issues, obstacles that we face with a diagnosis like ADHD or autism or OCD, and our big existential crises. Those related to spirituality and religion, to larger cultural realities, and to the question of the meaning of life. If you enjoy this podcast and you would like to learn more about me, I would encourage you to check out my website. You can find it at kikeautry.com. That's Q-U-I-Q-U-E-A-U-T-R-E-Y.com. I would love to hear from you. I would love to connect. And as always, remember, continue the conversation. In this episode of the podcast, I sit down and speak with David Martin. David is a licensed professional counselor supervisor. He loves working with people in the areas of counseling and mental health services. He works with other counselors, children, teens, couples, families, and adults struggling with behavioral, emotional, or relational issues. David is also the owner of Martin Counseling in Katy, Texas. He started this group practice back in 2011. David is also the founder of HoustonLPC.com, a free referral service for counseling and a social networking platform for mental health professionals in the greater Houston area. David was born in Mallorca, Spain's largest island in the Mediterranean. He moved to the United States in 2005. In this episode, we discuss a variety of topics, including negative self-talk for men, father wounds, the transition from boyhood to manhood, and many other important realities. I hope you enjoy this conversation. And if you are interested in learning more about David, you could check out the website www.martincounseling.com. That's M-A-R-T-I-N-C-O-U-N-S-E-L-I-N-G.com. Thanks so much and hope to hear from you soon. David, thank you so much for coming to my office this morning, last minute, to record this podcast. It's really awesome to have you here.
1: Thank you for having me. Last minute usually means that it's going to be the best, because when we overplan things, then they don't work out as well. Man, that is so true. Just being
0: spontaneous, Uh kind of on the fly. Yes. So Thank you for having me. Of course, uh, yeah. yeah, No, I'm excited. What Um, else do we have to do
1: on a Wednesday morning, right? Right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a great point. (laughs) So, just a moment ago, we were sort of joking about uh, the pronunciation of your name, you know, because I think for the the typical Caucasian person here in the States, they see D-A-V-I-D and they're going to pronounce it David. Well,
1: and it doesn't help that my last name is Martin, right? (laughs) Exactly. So, it's it's the the most uh, kind of... English name that you could possibly have. So the joke is, is either David Martin or David Martin.
0: David Martin, yeah. You know, one of those two. Is okay. That one sounds much better. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, it depends how open to new experiences you are, Oh, I like it. Right? I like it, so, yeah. Uh, either way is fine, but I, my life would be easier if it was Antonio Banderas. Right? Yeah. Oh, because yeah. Now, can you imagine questions.
0: if we both looked like him? That would be pretty awesome, too. <laughs> well, I went to his same high school. Oh, so wow. Okay. We have that in
1: common, but I do not. I am a little bit shorter <laughs> and uh, different physique, let's put it that way. Okay,
0: got you. <laughs> so, I will kind of do an introduction later where I give the the listeners just a little bit of background on you kind of point them in the direction of how they can kind of access your material or, you know, schedule an appointment with you. But I kind of like to start with just you giving me kind of a little bit of who you are, maybe some personal details, if that's okay. And then kind of what you're doing professionally and and that side of your life. And then we can kind of jump into the conversation.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, you know, we could spend um, a whole hour here. Uh, dissecting some of the background, but uh, in a nutshell, what I would like to tell people is, I'm originally from Spain. Uh, I grew up in Malaga, which is southern Spain. I was born in Palma de Mallorca, which is Mallorca. It's an island on the Mediterranean, uh, mm. geographically between Spain, the peninsula, and Italy. Mm. Uh, But I grew up in southern Spain. That's where my family is from. So I went to the University of Malaga. It's a public university. It's about the size of Texas A&M. Okay, so big. Fairly big city. It's the sixth city in the country. And it's it's a fairly big university. Uh, And I studied psychology. I thought about maybe later going into a theology seminary. One of my choices for... Uh, When, you know, in Spain, the system, you go through these uh, tests that grade you and then you have to choose what schools you want to go to. So you have your first choice and then different options. So uh, philosophy, history, psychology, that was kind of my... Those
0: are all the good ones.
1: Yeah, the humanities, The humanities, yeah. yeah. yeah, Social science. My favorite, for sure. Yeah. And uh, so I ended up uh, getting into my first choice, uh, that was psychology, and the idea was that um, actually I was going to uh, go to seminary afterwards, I never made it to seminary, maybe that's something that I end up doing, Um, but you know, my wife uh, is from Texas, and we met while still finishing school.
0: Where where in Texas?
1: Uh, She's actually from the Houston area. Oh, nice. she went to high school here in Katy and Isanagi went to A&M. Okay. uh but she was doing some mission work in Spain and the joke is that she did her mission and got herself a husband. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she didn't go for that reason. <laughs> and I didn't convert for her, but we were both volunteering for the same organization. Sure. Uh, while I was in college and then after I graduated, I graduated December 2004. So, I moved here in 2005. I had already lived here in Texas for a couple of summers before. Uh, So, first summer was summer of 1998. won't tell you how old I was, but uh, (laughs) in in, in 98. um, Actually, while I was here in the Dallas area, my wife was in Barcelona, Spain. At the same time, before we'll ever meet, so that's kind of a neat yeah. coincidence, right? I like that. And so, yeah, I moved here in 2005, and I've been living in Katy uh, since then, so that will be 17 years this
0: year, if my math is right. Wow, that's awesome. So, what are you up to these days in terms of, like, your career and kind of how you spend your time with work.
1: Well, I'm, I'm spending more and more time with bees, actually. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, so
0: I, that's actually what, what I really wanted to get into. Um, mm. but, but before we do that, because yes. that's going to be the real good stuff, um, just tell the listeners a little bit about like, your, your practice. And I, th- I think you're a part of like a networking organization for mental health professionals in Houston. Sure, yes. Maybe you could say more about that.
1: Sure. So, you know, when I first moved, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up,
0: right? I still don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: some of us are still there. Yeah. But um, it's interesting. I worked with, with um, a youth organization when I first moved in. Well, actually painting houses mm. first. <laughs> After painting some homes, I started working with people. Turns out I'm interested in, in helping people. People, yeah. rather in things, right? Uh, but eventually, I made it into kind of the 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 foster care adoption uh, area field, and, and I I just really enjoyed that. And that's when I started looking into getting my license. Okay, and, and so um, after you know went through LPC internship for, you know, that dates me right now. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Uh, And and did that through a few organizations. I really loved learning and got my hours in 18 months because I was working two jobs, getting lots and lots of clinical hours. And then after that, I, I was a fully licensed clinician for a while for different agencies until I decided to kind of go on my own, started private practice kind of on the side first. I think that that's the trajectory that a lot of people in private practice do, right? Sure. A little bit on the side, uh, and then make the big jump. And so I started my private practice in 2011. Okay. And so this year we're celebrating 11 years. Congratulations. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. That's kind of... Um, unfortunately, it's not very common because some people go in and out of private practice. Yeah. And I know with the pandemic, a lot of people have gotten out of it. Yes. And so... Um, and it started with just me. That was the entire group practice, right? <laughs> Going solo. Uh, right. And, and then th- actually through the latest agency I work with, I was able to get my supervisor license. And, and with that, that really is how the practice grew with okay. more providers is that, you know, the LPC interns that I was supervising wanted to get hours in a private practice setting. Of course, and so that's when we started adding clinicians, and then you know they they got full licenses. So some of them uh, stuck around, and sure. we started adding students, which we always felt like it was good to give students a chance uh, to to practice and to learn about the private practice setting. Uh, so. Today we have about thirty clinicians. Uh, wow! And um, that's awesome. Yes, last semester we had seven practicum students, and this semester we'll have another seven. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's great. Katie has grown a lot in the last—you uh, can say it forever since it started, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah has just done been growing and growing. Grow. Uh, and so, uh, there—that means that there are more people to help. More. Uh, children, teens, families, couples, individuals. So because we are such a big group in in numbers, that means also that uh, we cover a lot of ground in terms of modalities and population that we can serve. And obviously for me, a big one has been bilingual. You know, if you're looking for a bilingual male therapist in Houston, it's just, there are not a whole lot of us. That, that's so that's a rare that's a rare combination. combination. Right? So it's a field that is is full of female providers. Right. Um and I think part of that is uh, just because interest, right? Like I was saying, I was really interested in people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so um yeah, that that's it's been good that we can offer services in in a multitude of languages. Uh, we've had probably, in terms of the number of countries represented in the practice, about 20 different countries, something like that. That's beautiful, and that
0: that reflects Katie and the larger Houston area.
1: I think that Fort Bend County is one of the top uh, counties in diversity uh, in the country, which has to mean in the world. I agree. (laughs) Yeah, I I,
0: I know that was the case years ago. It, it, It may likely be the case still. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome.
1: So, so trying to help people. You know, it's it's important to be uh, offering services in languages. Um, w- when things happen in a certain language, it's important to process that information in that language, if at all possible. Yeah. Sometimes it's not possible you have to use your second or third language. But if you can um, use the language in psychotherapy... Uh, especially when we're dealing with trauma, if the trauma happened in Spanish, you should be talking in Spanish. Yeah, Because you're accessing parts of the brain that were activated at the time. Mm. That way, not your second language. It seems like you're activating different regions of your brain if you're processing in a second language. Yeah, And so, you know, for those out there listening to this, if something happened to you in Chinese, you probably should go talk to someone about it in Chinese, if at all possible.
0: Yeah, I so. totally agree. I love that. I, I was just listening to this kind of podcast this morning, um, kind of, a, kind of a, a very different sort of podcast. They really get mm-hmm. into philosophy and stuff. And they were talking about how, how language really does structure our reality in some ways. And so, Absolutely. you know, countries that are more collectivistic, they'll have certain words and certain concepts that really reflect more of that kind of communal nature then, oftentimes, the Western individualized, you know, atomistic, you know, separating everybody. So, right. I, I think you're making a good point on the importance of using almost your mother tongue to yes. process deep stuff like trauma.
1: Yes, and and hopefully, uh, we all can identify our self-talk, mm. and and that is a as as you know a huge thing in in therapy is that sometimes. We have messages that we are telling ourselves uh, that we might be not even conscious of. And of course, we're using language for that, right? And so when we can identify our self-talk, I was talking to a client that is uh, retired from the Navy, so a veteran, and uh, we were talking about the importance of recognizing what he's telling himself. Mm. Uh, You know, he's going through some difficulties in his life and... Uh, likely going to go through a divorce and and he's identifying all this negative self-talk and if someone can number one acknowledge that and number two have some alternatives when you catch yourself uh, being so negative maybe about yourself or about others or about life and the universe in general just catching that and then having a repertoire of maybe affirmations, mm. that's a name for it. Sure. You know, I was talking to him about, he was, he was asking me what, what's, what are the alternatives, right? And so affirmations can be very powerful. And I know that it's, maybe especially for guys, it's particularly difficult at times to sit there and listen to these positive affirmations. But my point was like, I know it's, it's a little bit of a stretch, but when when you expose yourself to those messages, maybe what you do is you incorporate the ones that kind of resonate with you, that stick with you, and then I'm sorry, my I have an alarm that keeps going off, and I need How to. How dare exi- you interrupt it. our
0: conversation?
1: with <laughs> Look, it's a reminder for some meditation. <laughs> there okay? you go. Okay, okay, good
0: spin on that.
1: <laughs> Whew, <laughs> I got out of that. You one did. Five. You did. I, I'll, <laughs> I'll for, you are forgiven. <laughs> so you know. Take a moment with this alarm and maybe meditate. Don't close your eyes if you're driving while you're listening to this. That would not be a good idea. (laughs) But um, yes, self-talk is key. That was the bottom line. And and, uh, finding those alternative messages that we want to go to that can affirm some healthy, good, positive realities of who we are. I think that um, guys are not attuned to that in particular maybe maybe it's a human thing, but um, you know as a,
0: as a male yes. identifying male okay I can, so I'll, I'll I'll, I, want, I want to get into that Let, let me make this quick comment. Um, you may not know, but I'm really big into what's called like stoic philosophy I, I try to bring it into my psychotherapy at times and just for my own sort of spiritual and emotional development. Many people don't realize that that stoic. Philosophical principles actually serve as like the foundation of a lot of modern cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, which Mm -hmm. is one of the best evidence-based treatments in our field. Um, And there's this one philosopher, I have several of his quotes on my wall, Marcus Aurelius, to paraphrase one of the things he says in his book, The Meditations, "The, the quality of your life will be determined by the content of your thoughts. And I... At first, thought that sounded a little bit simplistic because there's so much more to life than just our thoughts. But when I really sat and thought about it and reflected on my own like, psyche, my own mind, I realized, wow, when I'm sitting there and just feeding myself all this negative thinking, it will determine what kind of day I have. And when I try to push in the opposite direction and have more positive thoughts or just more realistic thoughts, It can have a huge impact
1: yeah and the mind is primarily in three places the mind is either uh, spending some time uh, reliving what had happened Mm. in the past or the mind could potentially be in the present moment which is kind of rare unfortunately (laughs) and and the mind loves to go to the future and if we lived our life and and with with our minds just reliving the past and going like man Everything just worked out so well for me right, to be here where I am right now. And if we lived our lives in our mind in the future, we're projecting, you know what? Things are going to work out. They're going to be great. Uh, I think that we lived in a different reality, yeah, right? absolutely. The, the, the default mode is could have, should have, would have, <laughs> yeah. right? Oh, yeah. And uh, the default for the future is, uh-oh, it's a question mark. Yes. And, and therefore, I got to be anxious about that. I don't know what's going to happen. It's probably not going to work out too well. Mm. You know, we worry about a lot of things that never actually end up happening. And so what would it be like, you know, and, and that's another philosophical idea, the idea that what if life is really just the moments that we have and this moment is the one that we have now. So if we miss it now, we're not here. That means that we're not living life right now and here. Well, what does that mean for the rest of the life is you're somewhere else constantly, right? You're either in your past or you're projecting to the future, but you're missing out on this one moment. And if you accumulate that, then you don't get to live your life.
0: Oh, I love that. I think that's so good. So one more kind of question around like the self-talk and men in, in, in specific. Because this is a podcast, you know, Therapy for Guys, I'm trying to kind of highlight some of the realities that we often stay silent about. Mm -hmm. In your practice, in your experience working with men, what are some of the common self-talk statements that you hear from these guys that that are quite negative?
1: I think that when it comes to um, a lot of things related to the past... Um, we usually deal with a lot of shame. Yeah. And so shame defined, you know, Dr. Brown, Brene Brown, um, I'm not good enough. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, we were doing a, a special kind of series of, of messages around narcissism and narcissistic traits and narcissistic personality disorder. And one of the things that we need to remember when we're talking about that, we think that uh, these folks, which are primarily guys, uh, they they don't care and they feel ultra secure of themselves. And though they project that um, strong security, actually the reality is the opposite, is that Mm. there's a lot of insecurity. And so I I think that uh, most of us are carrying around a lot of insecurities that are hard for us to face, and we mask them with portraying this persona that we're very secure of ourselves, mm. right? And so to be vulnerable enough with, again, the words of Dr. Brown, uh, to expose that insecurities and that shame that we're not good enough, you know, we we may reference it as the fig leaf in, in, in Genesis, mm-hmm. you know, we... Realize that we're naked and we're uh, embarrassed, and then we're anxious, and so we put on this fig leaf this this mask, this persona, uh, trying to hide behind, but at the same time trying to maybe disguise the other person that we really have our stuff together mm. <laughs> right? yeah no that's
0: good and- so so if if one of the self talk statements Connected to the past has to do with I'm not good enough. What you know, what Brene Brown talks about it in terms of shame. Mm-hmm. What would be a, a negative self-talk statement for a common man in your practice that's connected to the future?
1: I'm not going to be good enough, right? And so it's the same, but it's just same. projected in time, right? I'm going to fall short, mm. right? Uh, I'm not, and, and for guys, and I'm sorry, maybe this sounds too traditional, but. What I see in my experience and part of of my own fears um, is related to providing and protecting. I was
0: just thinking the same thing.
1: For me, it's financial. Providing and protecting. I mean, you can can call it different things, but at the end of the day, there's a big uh, emphasis in our thought process that is related to how do I provide and how do I protect. Mm. And, And so when those any of those two or those two simultaneously seems threatened by the set of circumstances, uh, we usually become anxious and sometimes may act in ways that we later regret, Um, you know. So what do you do with that? I think that you you channel um, what that would look like for you in your set of circumstances. You know, it's important that we identify how to be responsible about those two things mm. and to do those two well uh but also um in a way that is aligned with the realities that we have in front of us. Because mm. thankfully we're not hunting, we're not gathering for our food, right? And We're not necessarily fighting the tribe. I'm so glad door. that's not the case yeah, because so yeah, I wouldn't be true. here very long. <laughs> very true. And, and you know, part of the conversation for me, especially when I've treated literal, literal warriors, right. right, guys that have uh, some military ba- background, or guys that have been warriors in their own personal lives, maybe they haven't seen uh, war times, but sure. they they fought their own battles. Yeah. Um, we we, we talk about. The reality that you know, in, in sitting here, May of 2022, um, you know, if you go back and read the news around this time, there there's actually a big war going on right now. Right, but my point is that whether it's a, a war that is in reality happening or it's in your head, you're, you're ba- battling some 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 things in your life, yeah. right? And, and so, how do you become a good protector? Um, of of yourself and your family, and your community, your country, mm-hmm. in a way that that makes sense. Not necessarily, you know, carrying a gun right. and throwing bombs, um, but being effective in, in being a protector mm. uh, around the ones uh, around people, or with the people who are
0: around you. Mm. Yeah, no, that's good. Now, in working with men. Processing emotions with fathers. Mm-hmm. Are there any sort of negative self-talk statements revolving around being a dad oh, that, man. That, that, that you hear about, that you wrestle with in your practice? Yes,
1: and I think that, number one, sometimes we go into it when we're trying to analyze, um, assess our, where we are as, as parents, as fathers, uh, without really going into our own experiences with our fathers. Mm. So I, I, the first thing I try to do is try to pause the analyzing of our own parenting and actually go back and look at the attachment styles that come in from our own childhoods, um, for better or worse, you right. know. I mean, you were an innocent child. You didn't choose your father that you had or your father figure or lack thereof, right? And, and so we need to, I think it's important to pause and actually go, if we can, a few generations back because it's amazing the number of dynamics that get, get transferred uh, generation to generation, right? So if mm-hmm. I look at my great-grandfather and then I look at my grandfather and then I look at my own father... And I'm able to say, well, David, how are you coming across as a father based on the dynamics of these guys that you didn't choose, right? <laughs> right? They just happen to be the ones involved, right? For better or worse, how is that impacting you today? And then if they impact you in, the, in these ways, what are some good things about that that you want to carry on as legacy, but what are some things that you might be able to put a stop to mm. and break those cycles that are unhealthy? Mm. And um, I think that a lot of guys come into therapy not knowing any of that. Agreed. And, and they haven't thought about even the concept of that. And so I think that it's important that we, you know, I do my genogram. I had a mentor when I was an intern and he's told me, and this is one of the, the few, you know, male uh, therapist mentors that, right. that that I got um, and he said, "Oh man, uh, by session one or two i 'm usually um, bringing up uh, the genogram. you know I want to draw a picture of those fa- the, who was in the family growing up right Tell me about the the generation before, and who had influencing you who who do you have emotional ties to that are very close and matched and who who do you feel like you were in conflict with and who was neutral mm. you know a lot of our dads were spending a lot of time working those were the good ones you know right, right. <laughs> and so again just you know the providing piece um, but I, I know a lot of guys that have had fathers that were very absent mm. uh, and even if they were present physically sometimes they were absent emotionally yeah and I think that thankfully um this new generation of fathers you know i'm I'm the father of two today is my daughter's uh birthday oh and so it's how old is she a, she she turned nine today wow and so you know it, it's uh, last night, I was talking to my wife um her mother, about this and and we we're just kind of reflecting you know it's a almost a decade it's hard yeah, yeah. you know they tell you, you you throw you a baby and Before you know it, she's going to be 10 and out of, you know, she's going to be going to college. And you you're kind of brush it aside. (laughs) Right. Like that's so stereotypical. But here we are. Right. So, um, yeah, to to be able to pause and reflect on these things, I think I think that uh, is very necessary in that we rarely have the wiggle room, the time to sit down and do so I think I hope that that's something that fathers are doing in their psychotherapy sessions mm. uh, and then in between sessions because counseling doesn't work if you don't work the counseling yeah so, no in, say that again <laughs> <laughs> yeah counseling doesn't work because we've heard that one a lot oh yeah but then oh, yeah. The, the second part is if you don't work the counseling so the, the counseling work happens in between sessions it's not your 45 or an hour uh, session that's not where counseling is happening. Of course, there's some counseling happening sure, there, hopefully. But really, is what happens in between sessions. Yes. The work that you get to do in between, that's when change can actually take place.
0: I joke with my clients that I'm going to have to get like a blow-up microphone that they can just drop, right, whenever they say something profound, so imagine that that microphone is in this office. I'm going to give it to you because you need to drop the mic because that's the truth right there. <laughs> good, good stuff, good stuff. Do you, thinking about, again, men and what some call father hunger or father wounds, mm-hmm. is, there, is there a father wound that you see as something really prevalent in your your male clients? So, so Something that you feel like they not only experience but that kind of haunts them in the present and and how does that kind of show itself
1: all right so a little bit of i'm not an expert in anthropology that's my disclosure but i do have a good friend and and both of his parents were like anthropologists for real and so i love to pick his brain about different things because he's here heard this his entire life right um and so a little bit of anthropology for you to bring you to the answer to the question is, I think one of the biggest ones that I see is that uh, my male clients didn't have a man tell them, especially their father, tell them that they were not a boy anymore and that now they're men. Mm. And so in cultures, and that's the anthropological piece, uh, There is some kind of ritual, some kind of process.
0: Like rites of initiation?
1: That's right. Where boys are told, you are not a boy anymore. You're a man. Start behaving like one, right? Yeah. And so when there's void in that process some of our folks don't know <laughs> right yeah. and in the, their are areas of their lives that they're behaving like little boys and i see it every day right and someone has to you know shake them up a little bit and say hey listen you're not a boy anymore now you're a man and that that has consequences mm. right and, and so what are the characteristics of boyhood you know in a nutshell i mean that, that that's an entire Podcast itself.
0: I'm loving this. I'm gonna have to have you back. <laughs> okay, sounds good. There's a lot that we could explore together.
1: <laughs> yeah, that that's fine. I, I don't live too far from here. Okay, so good. <laughs> a, a, again, what else to do in the morning? That sit down with you and have some coffee, right? Yeah, it's awesome. Um, but boyhood, in a nutshell, is is play and mm. is learning mm. and learning. What what do we learn? Well, we we play. We rehearse the things that we're gonna have to do, like in real life. So why do we learn to wrestle and, and, and compete and things like that? Well, guess, guess what happens in real life? You're going to have to fight your way through a lot of things. Not in an aggressive meaning uh, or mean way, but, but in, a, in a way that, you know, you have to be strong to go and deal with the things that are coming your way. In life. Because life is going to throw you curveballs. Yeah. I would love to sit here and say, you know what? What you've been through, that was the worst. Right? But the reality is like, who knows? We We don't know. We we, we can't say that. Unfortunately, right? And so, um, you know, that transition between boyhood and manhood, uh, there is, uh, when there's a void of someone, a man, it, it has to be a man. Right? Like, there is a point why, Traditionally speaking, you look around in different cultures and, and women are not doing this. And, and girls are not telling the boys that now they're men. Right. It has to be another grown man telling mm-hmm. these boys, hey, listen, you're not a boy anymore. And in, in some cultural backgrounds, it's a very intense Initiation process, right? Yeah, like they do scary stuff, right? You're gonna climb that tree and, and you know jump down with ropes tied to your feet, that type thing, Absolutely. right?
0: Absolutely, and, and some of that stuff still happens in like indigenous Absolutely. tribes, yes. And
1: yes, 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 that still goes different on places in the world today. for sure, yes, oh, of course,
0: definitely not here in the west, no, uh,
1: unfortunately, unfortunately, I say. and maybe we don't have to you know, pierce our lips and and tattoo our arms. But maybe we do. I don't know. But but someone has to send you the message. You're not a boy anymore. And, And I think that you're not a boy anymore. I think a lot of folks in our culture will subscribe to that. Like, yeah, 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 let's tell our boys that they're not boys anymore. But the second part is kind of challenging, which is... Now you're a man. And trying to define that can be
0: challenging. It can. It can. You know, I, I want to get to that in one moment, but one of the things that's coming up for me is, I share this with my teen male clients all the time, that, you know, the, the whole Spider-Man maxim, that with great power or great privilege comes great responsibility, yep. is sort of a, a doorway into adulthood and, when I'm speaking to men, kind of manhood, in that, yes, it comes with some freedom and some power and some privilege, but we cannot forget the responsibility component. And well, and, and I, I see it's a lot of the most of, important part. It's the most important part, and I see a lot of young men struggling with that latter part. They want the power, they want the freedom.
1: The recognition.
0: They want the recognition. They don't want the responsibility. Or they right. struggle with the responsibility.
1: Well, no one has explained what that looks like. So, you know, maybe they're not struggling just because they wanna. Mm. Maybe they're struggling because no one has defined what that is, right? you know.
0: And I and I like that because that's kind of a compassionate kind of perspective on it. In in you know, they're still responsible for these things, but they haven't had a model. They haven't mm. had someone kind of show them the way, and that's a big part of the problem.
1: Well, you don't beat beat up a boy into manhood, mm. right? You you show a model what it looks like and teach patiently. Mm. You know, think about these cultures. If we go to you know, hunting and gathering uh, societies, which, like you've mentioned, they still exist. Um, you know, when, when boys are learning to hunt, they have to go out there. You know, there is, there is a part of uh, the process that, that is fairly tough, but there's a lot of coaching. Mm. There's a lot of patiently showing.
0: Yeah, you're how, not just like thrown to, do, to the wolves.
1: Right, No. No, 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 you start with the small prey, right? Mm. Um, and, and then you grow up to then go after, you know, it's Vygotsky, he explained it, is yeah. that zone of proximal development. Yeah. You're trying to push to the edge where you don't know uh, that you're sure how to do this, but you have someone else that is encouraging you and challenging you mm. and, and helping you get there until you master that. And then guess what happens when you, you're good and solid in this step? Then there's another little step that has to
0: come. I love and, that and approach. And
1: then you stretch, right?
0: Vygotsky is one of my like, psychological heroes. I think about his concept of relating, especially to children, in, in, a, in terms of being a head taller than they actually are. You know, when you're playing like a game of Monopoly or something a little bit complicated, bring someone in that's a little bit younger and relate to them as though they're a little bit older and they'll be able to kind of catch up and figure it out. That's right, that's I hadn't how we thought, grow. I hadn't thought about that as kind of a paradigm for thinking about transitioning boys into men, but I think there's something there. Um, I think we've infantilized a lot of males in our, in our culture. Man, I feel like we're talking about things that could be so controversial, but they need to be said in a nuanced way.
1: Yes, I think that, uh, look, I, I enjoy playing video games I, like playing, I grew up playing video games. Um, I was very envious of my peers that had better consoles than mine. <laughs> um, but, but today, I can't play nearly as much as I like to because there are battles that I need to go out there and, and handle. And the play part... Uh, it's just the rehearsal for the t- real battle. Mm. And sometimes, literally, because yeah. <laughs> some of these video games guess what it is that we're doing, right? Exactly. And, and so, so put put the controller down for a second. May you've rehearsed enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. right? <laughs> now go out there and, and pick worthwhile battles mm. and and engage with reality. Mm. Right?
0: I love it. What, okay, so what do you think about this? As, as I'm kind of picking up what you're putting down, as I'm thinking about my own life, my own practice with men, I think there's this fear that when you go out there and you take on the responsibility, you kind of become that protector, that it's, it's going to be all like work and no play and it's going to be like this drudgerous existence. And I think that's part of what repels guys from that. But I see it as the exact opposite. I see it as actually connecting to meaning, and significance and, and psychological excitement, like to go out there and do this game that we call life is, is fun. It's, well, it's, it's painful and difficult and stressful, but, but it's meaningful. Well,
1: it, de- it depends. The, the, I think that the, the part of what you just said that is the component that is missing for a lot of guys potentially is identifying their values and leaving those out and then having that connection that what I'm doing is aligned with my values. Yes. So if you're doing things that just to do them, that sounds pretty dreadful and, and boring and, and soul-killing, yeah. right? Especially if, it, if you're doing it because someone else says you got to do right. it, right? But if you're doing things out of freedom that are aligned with the values that you have, Then what you can extract from that is that meaning and purpose that is really all you get by the way it seems like it. So what do I mean by that is, you know, look, life is going to be full of tragedy. A friend of mine says you're either in a crisis right now or you just finished going through a crisis. And if it's not neither of those two, guess what? There's a crisis just around the corner waiting for you, So right? true. So don't be surprised that you have trials, right? <laughs> like, uh, that's life, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Now, it seems like what compensates your trials, tribulations, hardships, losses, disappointments, is not happiness, right? That I know it's, it's a constitutional right. I've, I've read it. I had to study it. I'm an American by
0: choice. I, I, I joke with my clients that they're not allowed to use that word in this office because I hate it. The happy word. Yes.
1: Yeah, I call it the H word. Or <laughs> yeah. if they say unhappy, I call it out and I say that's the U word. Yeah. We don't say that word around here. You know, that's a really, really bad word. Well, we can. here's where we can say these words. It's a feeling, right? Yeah. It's an emotion. So, of course, there are times when you feel happy. That's good. And there are times when you feel like you need to go to the restroom. Exactly. <laughs> and there are times and, when and you... both are temporary. <laughs> that, <I> mean, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. If not, we need to get you to see a doctor, right? Yes, like a real yes. physician. That's right? outside of our expertise. <laughs> That's right? right. But you're going to feel hungry. You're going to be anxious. You're going to be depressed. I-, I feel sad multiple of times. I just don't allow myself. Wait, you're
0: a therapist and you feel sad? Right, that's right. Yeah, (laughs) go figure,
1: right? So we feel all kinds of emotions. Uh, And so to say, well, I don't feel happy. That's a very boyish way to look at the world. I'm going to end this relationship, whatever that is. You know, some of you might picture an, an intimate married relationship, maybe a relationship at work. I'm going to end this relationship. I'm just not happy anymore. Yeah, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it, right? And it's like, uh, are you 10?
0: <laughs> right.
1: Like, this is not just popcorn and uh, rainbows. Like, come on. Of course you're not feeling it. How about you push through the uncomfortable feeling mm. that you're having right now, right? If, if need be.
0: Sure. Right? Sure.
1: So you ha- how do you assess that? Well, one of the ways to assess it is, is it really aligned with the values that you have? And when mm. I say most, when I'm working with guys and I say, so tell me your top five values, they look at me like I just spoke in Chinese yeah. or Mandarin, right? Like Japanese, like or a difficult language that is not related to English, you know? Like what? <laughs> and some, some people have some notion. But it's rare to find someone that says, oh, here are my top five, this, that, and the other.
0: Now, do you know what I find? I'm curious if you have the same experience that for a lot of young men, their value, their quote unquote values are just the things that they've learned at home, at their church, in different communities, which I'm not saying are bad, but they're still external to them. It's, right. it's what they feel they should believe or they should tether right. their life to. I feel like part of my work as a therapist is to help them in this process of discerning which of those values and which new ones can be truly internalized right. so that you're actually wanting yes. to align yourself with them.
1: That's good. Or that there are internal already and, and it's not that they're catching a value, is that the value caught them. Mm. I like that. And so some of that is pausing and being introspective and thinking, you know, values is defined for me as what's most important to you in life, right? What's most important to you in this life? Yeah. What's most important? And when you put it that way, say, like, oh, I know what's important to me. Yeah. And, and, you know, in a judgment-free zone, maybe you can explore like that. Because some, some people feel guilty that some of the values have to do with being ambitious, yes, and you know, getting ahead, yes, and uh, being successful, being successful, ooh, the yes word, right? <laughs> and so, absolutely, you, you, when you're creating this space where it's, I'm free to now truly explore some parts of my, my inner soul or or psyche, and I can say, well, this is what I consider to be the most valuable things in my life, and I don't have to put a sorry. After that sentence, right? Right. And say, well, great. If these are your values, show me your budget. Not literally. I don't need to see anyone's bank account. But if it doesn't show in your bank account and it doesn't show in your schedule, is it really happening? Yeah. No, that's good. Right? So show me your budget and show me your schedule. And if there's time and resources allocated to things that are related to these values, we're going to be in good shape extracting some meaning and purpose
0: absolutely but
1: if there's not then I don't care what those are really you're not devoting time energy resources uh, money to living out these
0: values yes one of the things that I see on a weekly basis when I'm treating depression in men I'm not saying it's just reducible to this idea sure it's depression is very complex but it's kind of a, a life that's not aligned with core values. Absolutely. That that looks like depression. Mm-hmm. What do you think about this? And, and anxiety, too, by the way. A- and anxiety, for sure. Right. What, what do you think about this kind of like picture or, or even like exercise and therapy? I, I got it from the, the author, David Brooks, who um, says, you know, you should ask someone, imagine, it's a little bit morbid, but but it can be quite positive. Imagine that you're sort of out of your body at some level and you're, and you're watching, you're a participant, an observer at your future funeral mm-hmm. and one to three very important people in your life, maybe it's a future spouse, maybe it's a loved one, a child, are up there at the eulogy and they're highlighting what they remember about you, what, who you really were. And that imagining that future reality could be one way to get at, okay, what are the things that are either really important to me or that I want to be important to me?
1: Right. That's an exercise to identify values. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So however it is that you need to dig in there, if it's with the help of someone else, if it's through sitting down and journaling, if it's through reading some of – around this – Uh, I would highly encourage you to try to identify. And by the way, it's okay if if they change over time, but you're going to identify that there's some of them that stick around um, in the long haul, right? For a long time. So whatever those are, make sure that you are devoting uh, part of your existence uh, to cultivating them and doing something about it. And if your work aligns with that, then embrace for the difficulties. But guess what? You're likely going to be able to push through. Mm. But if your work does not align with those values at all, uh-oh, we're in trouble. Okay. And it doesn't matter if you're starting out in a career from, you know, the bottom of, of the pyramid, right, or you are at the very, very top, because I've worked with, a lot of folks that have been there done that, right? They have right. a lot of professional experience. And many of them are miserable because none of it aligns with their values.
0: So, Exactly. No, absolutely. So w- one of the concepts that I sometimes use is male bullshit. Mm-hmm. And, and these are all the different sort of like internal dynamics that we struggle with in relationship to other men. So one of the things I'm just really curious about as a seasoned male therapist working with men, how do you navigate what I know a lot of guys in the beginning of therapy struggle with, which is kind of this competitiveness with their therapist. Or, you know, in our culture, we feel like we have to sometimes be more successful than the next guy or, you know, stronger or whatever it is. Do you see some of those dynamics coming into play in therapy? And then how do you kind of address them or work with them as a therapist?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, You know, maybe the long pause has to be edited. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, one of the things that I think, that you know, that that competition, Mm -hmm. uh, I think that instead of Having an attitude of trying to suppress, um, I would go actually the other route and validate.
0: That's exactly what I was thinking too.
1: Yeah, so you can validate any display. You know, if if you look at documentaries where they have dancing birds, yeah, right. It turns out, uh, and we haven't even talked about. A beast Which <laughs> I don't think we're going to have enough time today, but I'm going to have to okay. have you back
0: really soon because I want to get into the bees. <laughs> <laughs> the bees and the birds, right? So yes. this is the birds part. <laughs> and so if
1: if you look at uh, most uh, bird species, um, the males are the ones that look pretty, right? Oh, yeah. And they do all the dancing mm-hmm. uh, so to attract uh, the females, right? And so, look it up. You can go on your favorite video display and your favorite device and, and look at male um, birds just dancing to attract females. And so, we could sit here and say, well, the dancing is wrong, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, 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 And it's like, oh, that's pretty biological. <laughs> You're not <Yeah>. going to convince <laughs> these birds to behave in different <laughs> ways, right? So, you validate it and say, I understand, I get it. Mm. Um, how, how, what if that was not the definition of who you are as a bird? Mm. And there's a time to be the big peacock in the room. But, man, there's so many other things that you have to do in between.
0: Absolutely. Like you have
1: to go out there and look for worms and you have to go out there and maybe help build a nest or maybe you have to go out there and take care of the ex when she's gone because she has to go take a potty break and and, and get, you know, feed. And so, you know, so if you are involved in a family dynamic and I think even if you're a single guy with no responsibilities of children, you're still in a family of some sort, yes. right? Maybe you're in a family with your community. Okay, fair enough. But someone is either parenting you or you're parenting them I mean, even in in the context of work, if you work with other human beings, Mm. there's this uh, parenting that goes on. Someone is mentoring you. Well, guess what that is? This this form of parenting and you're maybe mentoring your peers or, or someone who works for you. Well, guess what? That's another form of parenting, right? And so whatever your role is have there's also pieces of that that are likely way more important than the dance. Mm. So if all you do is dance all the time, you're going to starve to death. Mm.
0: I love it. I, 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 in one of my previous conversations with, with a friend who's an artist, we're, we're actually working through the, like, the tarot deck and looking at the different figures as just symbols or archetypes for yeah. a healthier masculinity. And um, I kind of brought up you know, one of my favorite kind of therapists, psychological thinkers, Albert Ellis, the whole mm-hmm. REBT idea, he just kind of boils things down to we struggle with this psychological inflexibility, this rigidity. And, and that's one of the ways I think about sort of unhealthy or toxic masculinity these days is it's like picking one trait and like obsessing on it and and not being flexible, not being open, not realizing there's more to the story than just the dancing, the ritual dancing, right? right. Like you were saying, it's, it's much more than that.
1: There are more parts of you than that and potentially more important.
0: Oh, beautifully said. Okay, I don't want to end it, but we have to because I'm going to have a client <laughs> in about 12 minutes. Yeah, we got to run. Um, man, I really hope that you will come back. Sure. There's so much more that I think we could explore. But before I do end, will you just tell the listeners how they can find you? And if they're interested in contacting you or connecting with you, are they able to do that? And how do they do that? Sure.
1: So thank you again for, for having me. Absolutely. And, and yeah, we, we should figure out another day and space to do this. And uh, thank you for opening your, your office for of this too. Um, so two, two primary places online okay. that people can go. One is called HoustonLPC.com. So okay. Houston, like the city. And then Larry Peter Charles, um, lessons for licensed professional counselor.com. Okay. Uh, and one day I'll tell you the story behind that. I, URL. I would love to hear that.
0: <laughs> because this is like the networking.
1: Yeah, that, that's part of the networking stuff that, okay. we, that we've done through the years. And, and the other one is our practice uh, website, which is Martin, just like the last name, M A R T I N, and then the word counseling. Okay. Uh, here in Katy and so that's com. so through any of those channels people can find us and and you know get in touch with us if you need some help
0: yeah that's wonderful okay david i asked all my clients to end with the phrase that's sort of like the the tagline of the podcast continue the conversation would you do that for me
1: continue the conversation what do you, what do you mean by that like it,
0: it's a way of um Getting at the idea of the podcast that as men, uh-huh. and, and more than just men, and like you were saying, to not just work in counseling, but... Or or counseling working for you, you work in the counseling. You work in the counseling. It's, it's, a, it's an invitation for everyone to just continue connecting with people and talking about these realities. So, would you yes. end with that statement?
1: Oh, yes. Sure. So, it's, it's continue the conversation. Thank you.
0: Yes. Thank you again for listening to this episode. I really hope that you enjoyed it. Let's try to connect. Reach out to me. You can go to my website at quiqueautre or you can Google my name, Kike Autry on Google and there you'll find my Facebook and Instagram accounts. If you would like to schedule an appointment, you can go to my website or you can go to the website of the practice that I serve at Katie Teen and familycounseling.com. I can't wait to hear from you. Please share my content and remember, continue the conversation.